You're listening to the Refined Hippie Podcast. I am your host, Rebecca Henson. Welcome back to another episode, my lovely friends. It is so great to have you here today. I just finished doing a blog post of 30 healthy holiday gift ideas that are also for the conscious buyer. So think sustainable gifts, eco-friendly gifts, uh, gifts that come from companies who are responsible and thoughtful. I spent seriously like I think two days on this. It was quite extensive. It took a lot more time than I was planning, which I guess that's the way things work a lot of times, right? I obviously like a third, 30 items is a lot and I had to take screenshots of everything and then I had to uh, you know, link everything. So anybody who's ever done a blog post or just written anything probably would understand that these things always take longer than you expect. But I hope you like it. Um, the Most of the things that are on here are items that I already have. Not all of them, but some of them or from companies that I like. And I think that hopefully it can take out some of the headache in gift buying this holiday season. Um, I'd certainly also encourage buying intangible gifts, and I have some ideas on there for that. I also have some ideas for gift wrapping because in the last few years, I suppose since I became a refined hippie, I have been much more conscious about my uh, waste and just uh, the trash that I am producing and the holidays are filled with lots of trash from gift wrapping and packaging. And I found out that this holiday garbage amounts to an extra 25 million tons of garbage every year. That's really unfathomable. I can't even imagine what that looks like, but it's not good. And a lot of this is not going to be biodegradable. I mean, certainly the tape's not biodegradable. A lot of the uh, gift wrapping has different types of foil or, you know, plastic mixed in. So this year I am going to be much more conscious about it. I have put on the blog post some ideas for you as well and some links to do some different things. Um, One of them is to use cloth. So I personally have a lot of leftover cloth from attempted sewing projects. There was a time that I was going to make clothes, which I did end up making some Halloween costumes, so that does count. But I have a lot of fabric from that, and I am going to try to use that to wrap my gifts and make them look really pretty. So again, there are some links to that and some different ideas, and you can get different cloth that you could use every year that is festive and fun, and then kind of either fold them a specific way, or also you could use different ribbon to just kind of, you know, keep everything in place, and I think it's going to look really nice. So I'm doing a combo this year because I still have some wrapping paper, but I'm going to try not to buy any in the future unless it is certified eco-friendly, although I do know from what I've seen out there, the eco-friendly wrapping paper is quite expensive, but... Maybe that'll change in the next few years. Uh, The other thing that's really exciting is that right before I started recording, I got several text messages from a few of my friends telling me that they that they think I would be very proud in that they were eating actively, consciously eating less meat. So these are people who uh, have been known to eat a lot of meat. So this comes as a very happy surprise to me because. I obviously am a huge plant fan and I don't think, 
you know, you don't have to be plant-based or vegan or any of those things to listen to this podcast, but I applaud you if you are not and you are just open to learning more or just interested in more, you know, mind, body, spirit kind of approach to living because I think that's ultimately what this podcast is about. Although I do have a lot of guests that have kind of, um, have some profound stories around going plant-based and healing different things. So there's certainly a lot of that in my podcast too, but thank you so much for being open-minded either way, whether you're plant-based, vegan, omnivore, carnivore, I am just happy you're here. So today's guest is certainly more about the mind, body, spirit approach to living and life. And I had such a beautiful conversation with Kelly Jean Moore, who is a yoga teacher here in Charleston, South Carolina. She has been for almost 16 years. She is a certified rolfer for seven years, owner of Mission Yoga. Kelly's classes are modern, practical, and potent. She focuses on the therapeutic and mental aspects of yoga while always offering opportunities for dynamic growth through the body. Her system of yoga, Sarayana, is a synthesis of Hatha yoga, Chinese medicine, and rolfing concepts that uncovers each practitioner's inherent skill and wisdom. She and I sat down for a super fun and meandering conversation, which we cover all kinds of different subjects. We, of course, get into her origin story, why she got into yoga, how she got into yoga, and how it transformed and saved her life. Kelly Jean experienced a lot of trauma as a child and subsequently had some turbulent teenage and young adult years. In her early 20s, her inner voice began speaking to her, and she knew the path that she was on was not serving her in any way. She tried yoga for the first time and was immediately hooked. Soon after, she became a teacher, but it would be the study of rolfing that really transformed her yoga practice and the understanding of the body. She and I talk about a bunch of different subjects. Of course, we chat about yoga, different types of yoga practices, biohacking the system. We also talk about the ritual of grounding, finding beauty in our mundane daily activities, the psychology and communication of movement, body image, yoga bodies, putting ourselves out there in the world, and above all, speaking our truth and being true to ourselves. This is one of my favorite conversations. Kelly Jean is so much fun and such a vibrant soul, and I think you're going to agree. So without further ado, here is my interview with the lovely Kelly Jean Moore. Um, hi, Kelly Jean. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for coming out in this nasty weather, which you were just saying you actually kind of like it. <laughs> I would not like six months of gray, mm. cold rain, right. but you know, Charleston, we just had, I mean, three days ago it was hot. It's bizarre. So, and it's been bizarrely it hot with no real sense of fall. Right. And now we're having this very abrupt sort of cold snap. Winter. Rain <laughs> winter. Yeah. Just, um, which is painful. <laughs> Kitty, Eva, why? Kitty interludes. Gosh. Because she's important. I know, but that was really early on that she just interrupted. Usually it's about halfway through that she's like, I'm here. What about me? You will. I understand. I don't know. I understand. Kitties. But yeah. So yeah. Um, so it's abrupt. But what I was saying was that the rain and the cold, so immediate, it's like um, 
it's like a door slamming in your face. So people are, mm. are really, they feel confronted by it. But it's also a kind of boundary. So it creates insulation around you. So you can very quickly have an opportunity to turn inward, to get quiet, to be still, to do mm. less. So for me, I'm always, I'm looking for any and every opportunity to opt out of the grind. And go inward. And just be, would just be, I mean, an inward to me is weird because mm. it used to sound very formal and I still do formal, obviously formal practices and formal meditation things, but, but inward also just means um, in my bedroom in cozy socks, folding my laundry in silence Yeah, and, and feeling the ritual of my daily life as something that is uh, um, a gift. Yeah, I think for me, it definitely the weather... Um, I mean, you have no other choice but to be inside. I mean, I don't want to be outside right now because it's cold yeah. and it's wet. And I have done, I mean, you're talking about folding laundry. I've did a lot of laundry the last day or so. See? So. But it has to be like, how do, so how do we um, see that laundry as a, like a ritual of grounding? Right. It is calming to me. I know some people can't stand it, but I think it's kind of calming. I don't know. And sometimes this isn't true. Sometimes oh, the, sure. the list in the house is as overwhelming as the list outside of the house. True. But when I when I do find the sweetness of those moments, it's such a relief. Mm-hmm. Because those are the consistent moments. As, as much as I am excited by new projects and the people in my life that I get to go and see and fun travel and things that I do – those are not the norm. The norm is, you know, wake up at 6.30, get my son out of bed, make his lunch, make his breakfast while I'm calling over my shoulder, Owen, get dressed. Owen, get dressed. Oh, So like my <laughs> mantra is make the breakfast, make the beds, get right. to drop him off, get to work. Like that's the ritual mm-hmm. of my life. Do the, Get home, get him to bed, look down at the floor, realize there's three piles of laundry, start the laundry. And it is either going to kill you mm-hmm. Because you're going to make an enemy of your daily life or it's going to, you're going to recognize eventually that those are the moments that fill the majority of your life. So you Mm -hmm. either make peace. Embrace them. Embrace them. Mm -hmm. Or you have this quality of running always from your daily life towards something fun and exciting to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's okay to have fun and exciting things to look forward to, but. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a terrible way to live our life. It's though. a terrible way to live. But I think you, that that's what majority of people are doing now is, you know, it's, well, it's kind of like even just the, the work week, you know, has kind of created that, that you work Monday to Friday, nine to five, and you're just looking for it, just waiting for the day that it's Friday. So you have the weekend and that's a, t- mm-hmm. and that's just rushing through your life. That's kind of the same right. idea, looking for the next thing. Right. And, and, and I mean, that just, it's a terrible way to live. It is. And, and I can't say that everyone has the, the, the time, the money, or right. the privilege. And that's important mm-hmm. when we sit, you know, in our comfortable houses and we talk about, you know, oh, having yeah. the time to reflect and follow your passions and all of that. Like, right. I don't want to be a douchebag. Not like, everybody can do that. Right. Not <laughs> everyone can do that. It's and, a luxury. And it's, it's a luxury. Yeah. Um, but if you can, and what you're spending your time and your money on is like always entertainment, Right. always the next big shiny object, then you do set up this contradiction of, of um, this sort of like unpleasant tension between the daily life and those moments of pleasure, entertainment, excitement, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I think this is where like, you know, doing daily gratitudes and things like that mm-hmm. can really ground you and then make you reflect on the small things. Because if I write in my journal and do my daily gratitudes – 
it's never like I'm so grateful that I get to go on this trip. I mean, although I would be, I would, if I was going on a trip, I would certainly say that. But most of it is like the most simple things. Like I'm so grateful I have, you know, nourishing food that I can, mm-hmm. and that I can just go to the grocery store and don't have to think about. I mean, those are just like small things that right. we should all be, you know, aware of. Yeah, I think that w- one of the really important shifts as the world continues to get smaller in the way of us being connected through social media, through podcasts, through all of this technology where we are, we have everything at our fingertips. It also makes, um, I think it confuses the human being sometimes. Like we see all of these things and we're doing more work and more travel and more this and more that and more and more and more and more mm-hmm. and more. And then we are exhausted. And so I think uh, the, the shift has to be in, being able to see the value in the connection, but not mm-hmm. overdoing our time online, not overdoing and not letting the aesthetic of it convince us that the small moments of our lives aren't meaningful as they are. And are boring. And, and are boring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's mundane, right? You know, the daily there, things. But there's like, a, that's, like you said, that's what makes up the majority of our life. Yeah. So do, we need to, you got to do less. It, yeah. You have to pull, pull your focus back towards what is small and sacred mm-hmm. uh, because the big things are going to happen. The big things are coming your way. And those are great. And they're not. Yeah. Sometimes they're not too. That's there's true. the bit, there's the big good things and then there's the big hard things. That's true. Yeah. And they will, they will, sh- they'll show up. Right. If you attend to the small daily things, the big things show up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Both good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, they're inevitable, I suppose. I mean, for most of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, Whether that's what, trauma yeah. and loss and change and grief and the Buddhists right. call it impermanence, right? Mm. There's like the rule of impermanence that all things are impermanent. Mm. And so you can trust that things will change. You don't have to worry. Right. <laughs> but you can also you're also going to have to embrace change that you don't like as well as trust that there will be an unfolding that you do enjoy. Mhm. Oh man, we just jumped right in, didn't we? Yeah, that I don't do, I don't stay light very that long. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's backtrack. <laughs> okay, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to why you even have this 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 mindset that you do now. <laughs> yeah. Um, of your or so you are. For those who don't know, you are a. I mean, you have lots of different titles, I suppose. You're a a yoga instructor. Yeah. A yoga studio owner. Yeah. Uh, Rolfer, which we'll yeah. get to that because m- mm-hmm. most people might not know what Rolfing is. Certified. Certified, certified Rolfer. Rolfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a mother. I'm a mama. You're a mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Mm. You tell me. I mean, all the, then all the other normal things. Yeah. You know, I, I, as far as like professional skill set, I have a background in theater and art history oh, yeah. initially. Oh, art history. I didn't mm-hmm. know that one. Mm-hmm. I, loved, I was major. minor in art history. Mm-hmm. I loved art history. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I wasn't quite... Uh, I never quite found my niche as, I mean, I was an artist in the way that, that theater is an art oh, form, for sure. but as far as um, visual arts specifically, I dabbled, but I never really found my niche, but I was so, it was so important to me early on. One of the, one of the things that really saved me from getting lost in a very small town with a very small mindset that I didn't feel at home in or welcome in was being able to go to a library 
and sit down in a dark corner with huge, huge books of art. Yeah. And the, the smell of the books and the images and the words opened up a world that was so much bigger for my mind and for my heart. And I felt like there was room for me somewhere. Maybe not where mm -hmm. I was, but that somewhere there was room for me. And so I've always been uh, sort of pulled by the those that are in creative process and mm. also just pulled by the idea that really we are all artists, mm -hmm. that we are all always in creative process, mm. creating our experiences, our lives, our days, our relationships, you know, all the choices we make are a, are a co-creation with all of the other choices being made simultaneously by every other living thing. So that's a pretty groovy. In yoga, they call it Leela. They call it the dance of creation, mm. Leela. So like co-creation between self and the universe. Mm. But in, in this case, like my sense of self and, and like you sitting across from me and us talking, you now are the universe. We had to have kitty interludes. It sounds like it's going to happen the whole time. I know. She is just in a mood today. I think she is very restless because she's been inside for several she days. She has she's not losing reflected. her mind. She's no, not she's reflected not. on the benefits of being indoors. She <laughs> has major issues with silence, let me tell you. We're going to get to that. She cannot meditate. She cannot entertain herself very well for very long. So She's going to get her cat card revoked. No. <laughs> So oh, anyways, the, um, what was I saying? Oh, creative With process. Art, yeah. yeah. So, so that as well, those, those things, um, you know, as a kid, I went to governor's school for the arts, for theater and, and actually that paved the way my, my connection to yoga really comes in a way from my study of theater, because in the theater, mm. you learn that the way that someone moves has an innate connection to their psychology. Oh, and not just from the perspective of when you are schlumpy, the audience mm. knows that you are sad. It's not just yeah. about communication. Mm. It's about if you as the actor are going to connect to and evoke a mind state, a persona, a personal experience that feels real to the audience, you have to feel it too. And mm. one of the ways to feel it is to take on a posture, a body action, a grip in your hands or a tension in your feet, mm. you know, or a slouch or a... Mm -hmm. Uh, some sort of mechanism of movement through the body that helps you connect, it immediately connects the, the, the body to an emotional experience, which is real, even if the narrative is not. Mm. So if you want to feel sad, you put on sad posture and your brain will follow, your emotions Gosh, will follow. True? It's true. So we studied the psychology of movement in theater. Oh, that's awesome. And when you, you know, that already having that as a foundation, when I got to the yoga practice, it was a, a very oh. big aha, like, oh, this is alignment and all. Yeah, yeah, this is all nice. this huh. is all in relationship to the the patterns of humanness. Right. You know, this is what we're, we're working with. This is what the, the yoga asana, the movement of yoga is about affecting, um, clearing out old patterns in the system. Hmm. And reinstating more functional patterns in the system that allow for better, more mm -hmm. integrated being. Mm -hmm. Contrary to like, oh, what kind of workout do you do? Oh, I do yoga, Pilates, and lifting. Yoga is not in the same, it shouldn't really be in the same category. Mm -hmm. Like it's more wellness than fitness, mm -hmm. which isn't to say that there isn't a muscular 
aspect. aspect. Of course, it's a physical practice. Of course, you will burn calories moving your body. Of course you will. But if the goal is to move, to to burn calories, when you go and get on your yoga mat, then you will miss Mm -hmm. the work of awakening to that psychology of movement, which really talks on so many deeper levels of the the languages of the body, mind, and heart, mm-hmm. you just kind of miss the value. You can skip right over it mm-hmm. and then just get a really fun workout. <laughs> well, I think a lot of studios these days in America kind of have gone that put way. the emphasis on that, you know. Because it's easier to describe, brand, and understand for the average person walking in off the street. That's mm. one of the main reasons. Mm. It's not the only reason that it's kind of gone in that direction, but I think that that is... One of the primary reasons, especially since mental health mm-hmm. up until very recently was not something that we talked about mm-hmm. as a, like an okay subject for everyone to broach. And that everybody needed and to that be everyone concerned needed to about your mental health. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you don't have to be, you know, locking yourself in your house for six months straight, growing out your fingernails with agoraphobia <laughs> to have, right. to need to do personal work to take care of right. yourself and to be more, more healthful right. overall. Although not to judge people with that experience because it, we don't, we don't, yeah. we're not mad at people who get the flu. Right. Right. We're not mad at people when they blow out their ankle. Right. But for some reason, culturally, we still think it's an insult when we admit, you know, that we're suffering. I saw a really good meme one time a couple of weeks ago and it was a, it was like an illustration and it had, you know, a quote and it said, it was like, I hurt my knee or, you know, I, I busted my knee. And then it was like all these little pictures of like, I get well soon card and like flowers and like all these people, you know, like giving them things. And then mm-hmm. the other one was, I'm, I'm depressed. And it was just silence. Well, know? because what, what, we're so scared that if we, oh, it's kind of yucky too. Uh, mm-hmm. Like social media, mm-hmm. uh, we, I have friends who are guilty of this. They'll overshare for mm. attention. I know. You and can see it though. You can kind of you can, and you get this icky sell, feeling right? like when when it's not like, hey, this is something I'm going through. It's uh-huh. more And so then you get silent cuz you're like, I don't want to play into that. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. a weird dynamic. But we need to be able to say I mean, I think it is we weird to help. share it on social media maybe. Well, I'm not even saying that it is. It's a it's just it an it creates know. an interesting dynamic right. to have that it's one thing to be able to talk about it formally. It's another thing to go online at like three in the morning, you know? Yeah, I know. And, I know. you know, air your your, your business. Your business, yeah. And that's what it kind of feels like. You're like, oh, that's it's like kind TMI of or something. TMI. Yeah. yeah. I would rather you call me and tell me this so we can really talk about it. But instead, you told 10,000 people. Right. I know. I know. But I because sharing to 10,000 people in a way is less vulnerable mm-hmm. than sharing to one actual human being, like having to pick up the phone and say out so loud. Definitely. Yeah. You know, it's easier. It's yeah. easier for us to say nasty stuff to each other exactly. that way. It's easy for us to dump our feelings that way, right. but then not have to have the a actual real connection, real co- like a real connection, connection. conversation. Yeah. yeah. So I would say we do need to talk about our feelings, but also, uh, you need humans. Mm-hmm. You need to connect with them right. in real time. And I mean, I think that if people, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. So like if you don't feel, if someone doesn't feel comfortable to tell their loved ones. Oh yeah. You know, then go talk to somebody unbiased, you know, who doesn't yeah. know, you know, I think it's super therapeutic. I, I have friends person. who are therapists or who are some sort of, um, 
they might not be official cognitive therapists, but right. I have friends who I consider mm, sort of like my therapists and they'll do things formally. Mm-hmm. My friend Laura does something called body talk therapy oh, yeah, and I, I can call her and just talk to her and that's helpful. But sometimes yeah. I call her and I say, we need to make an appointment. Right. And from this time to this time, you know, there's a timer running and we're doing something formal together and she is putting on her therapist hat mm-hmm. and we're following uh, sort of parameters to go through something and it's really, really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, even even the idea of phoning a friend and talking to a friend versus talking to a formal therapist, there is a different exchange mm-hmm. that happens. Mm-hmm. And it can be a friend, but there's a different exchange that happens when someone comes to me in the yoga world and says, I want to do a one-on-one and they really want to, I can tell they have some things they want to unpack in their mind as well Mm -hmm. as in their body. We, I treat that very differently formally than if we get tea. If we get tea, I'm not going to offer you much advice. I'm not going to do a lot of mirroring. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to listen and like be your buddy and kind of have your back. Which is helpful. I mean, there's a time and a place for kind of, for either, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to listen. Both are true. Yeah. Call your friend and make an appointment. (laughs) Do both. Do both. (laughs) Yeah. Do both. But again, I think that that is where one of the reasons, it's not the only reason that yoga has gone in the direction of just sort of extreme group fitness. And and it's not to say that I am, I'm not mad at anybody for doing that practice. You know what I mean? Like I'm not mad at it. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) How dare you take this thing? Because also I don't think yoga is some precious ancient Mm -hmm. thing that we aren't allowed to bring our own input to. To modify or change. I think it's vibrant. I think it's alive. I think we're all allowed to. And also I don't think we culturally appropriated it. That's some, can I say bullshit? You can say that. That's some bullshit. This is why (laughs) cultural appropriation of yoga is not a thing in the West. Mm. Let me tell you. Because when it came to the United States, it came on the backs of great Indian teachers who were told either through their own volition or through their teachers and gurus, bring this to the West. Mm. It was brought as an offering. Mm. It was always encouraged to be brought here. So the idea that like we've bastardized it in a way that is um, intentionally negative or, you know, um, colonialism at its worst Mm. isn't really true. It was brought here and there's some very good and innovative modern work that is happening with yoga that is still happening. It's just not what's getting the airtime. You know what I mean? There's a Mm -hmm. small subgroup of people that are doing not, they're not looking back to ancient India. They may have studied it, but they are taking what's there and they are looking forward. How does this apply to us, to the Western psyche? Not how do we dumb it down, right? but how do we innovate? How do we continue to grow, take this wisdom and add what is, what science is backing, Mm -hmm. you know, how we have, because we have something to bring to the table in the West. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, what we need now, like our society needs now, right. maybe. You and know? what we need and how we treat yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so that is happening, right. too. And, you know, for every 20 studios, it's probably one that's working that way. Yeah. And the other ones are not. Right. They're just sort of gra- grazing the surface. Um, 
in the hopes that, you know, what, what my friends who run studios say is, well, Kelly, it's all yoga and everyone has to start somewhere. And like our students wouldn't do what you want them to do. They wouldn't be interested in that and they would leave. So if we can get them doing mm. this thing that they're interested in, eventually they'll have enough ahas and curiosity that they'll go down the pipeline to more meaningful practice. Or they won't, but either way, mm. they were never going to come to you right out of the gate sure, anyways. Yeah. And that might be true. Yeah, true. That might be true. Right. I do know that the the one downside that I've seen to the huge popularity of yoga is a lot of people that either were interested in yoga or would be interested in yoga are now no longer interested in yoga because they see that 19, those 19 studios and what they're doing, like what the popular conversation of yoga is. And they're like, oh, I'm not interested in that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're interested in philosophy and wellness as a whole, you might not think that yoga is the place to go for that anymore. Because you don't know where to go. Because you don't know where to go. Because yeah. you don't know where that's a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's like for me trying to say, hey, everybody is welcome to have their opinion here. And this has been my experience. And we're going to do this. And we're going to stick to our guns about being, um, about our focus on, on really wellness. Mm-hmm. And that like clarity around that. Personally, um, won't name name the gym but there is a place that I go and I still do go um because they have a lot of other classes as well but I they had normal yoga classes normal Mm -hmm. I mean it wasn't you know 100 degrees in there and I guess they had enough people maybe ask or want because there's there's this idea that if you're not sweating you're not working or you're not you're not getting anything done whether it's mental or physical you know right um so they jacked up the heat, mm-hmm. and I complained. I'm pretty sure I was the only one who complained. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, you know, you're the only – they're like, well, everybody else wants this. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, I have thoughts <laughs> on heat and yoga too. I taught – and look, also, just, just, to, just to backtrack, I have people all over the country now who are like, you are my first yoga teacher. You're my favorite uh, yoga teacher. But they took with me like 12 years ago yeah. when I taught – Power oh. yoga, oh, Ashtanga, right. and Bikram style hot yoga in Ooh. a room that had 95 degrees. And I taught all those things because when I started teaching, I was 24. Yeah. And at the place that I taught at, that's what I was certified yeah. in. And that's what we offered. Right. But I was... You were at Blue Turtle? Blue Turtle, yeah. yeah. But I was instantly getting into trouble for changing sequences, <laughs> slowing things down, cutting things out that I didn't think made sense, turning the heat and down. They didn't li- and they didn't like that? Well, some people liked it. Eventually, right. I got my way. Right. You know what I mean? But Good. Like, you can't help but be yourself. On some totally. level, your karmas, your identity is just going to come through. And uh, I was just born with opinions. I don't like... <laughs> I tried to follow the rules, but as I followed the rules, other things came... Other things became clear to me. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yeah, you... You probably don't need to do that, buddy. You're 65 years old. Stop kicking up into a headstand. That's insanely stupid. Stop it. Your down dog doesn't even look stable. Why are you kicking up into a... First of all, don't kick into a headstand. But but you know what I mean? Like, So what's the point of that? What's the point of chasing that posture? That's There's no point to that. Yeah, there's a benefit to inversions, but we can find other ways to to get that benefit without that level of risk. And... So many, uh, so much of modern postural yoga feels like pushing past boundaries. Mm. And so much of what it should be is applying boundaries mm. in the body. Isom- even from a just muscular action, isometrics. Mm-hmm. Do you know what like um, 
in photography, do you know what an image, when they say an image is blown out, mm-hmm. it's like there's, it's too bright. It starts to get blurry around the edges. Right. And I see people in yoga poses, really flexible people, maybe athletic, gymnastic, but definitely very hyper flexible. And they blow out their poses. They go to the furthest degree mm-hmm. of expression that they mm-hmm. can possibly do. Just because they can? Just because they can, but also because they think that's the point. Right. They think the point is to like eradicate all boundaries. Mm -hmm. I want to be free. I want to take it as far as I can. (laughs) But it's it's actually in pulling back and then organizing and finding reference points up, down, inside, outside, front, back, right, left, diagonal patterns in the body and plugging those in until you feel steady, Mm -hmm. stable. You feel the ground, you feel quiet, you feel a sense of polarity and a kind of a dynamic opposition in your body. And it feels, when you find it, it feels like, yes, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's like, it sounds like when that sound that your Mac makes when you open it, when Ding. you, when you open whatever, it. I can't even do it. Yeah. <laughs> Everything comes to it. You're like, oh, something is, something Yay. is working. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so much of it looks like that to me. It's like too blown out. People need to pull back, wait listen but it's not I'm not saying that they sh- that yoga should be gentle always mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it should be easy by any means mm-hmm. but the kind of hard the way that we work I think is different um, and the reason that people resist this kind of work sometimes is because it's the kind of hard that requires you to go slow and wait and listen mm-hmm. and sometimes forego the sweat today so that you can feel the really deep work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about being a long time student versus just getting your, and like, I like to run. Mm-hmm. Okay. I lift once a week. Like mm-hmm. I lift. Do you, do you squat, bro? Do you even squat? I totally do. <laughs> I swing kettlebells. I like that stuff. Yeah, I do too. Um, I've always liked that. I mean, yeah. you're athletic. I mean, in general then. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also, Yoga saved my life. Mm. And I think it didn't just save it. It didn't just keep me from dying. It has helped me to live. Mm. You know, and I and I don't know that everyone immediately catches that, but it you or know, is gonna have that experience. Yeah, or yeah. is gonna have that experience, but it's yeah. a wisdom tradition. It's like it's a tradition of inquiry into why we're here and also into a process of minimizing suffering in a way that is like clear and intentional. Mm-hmm. So how, in what way did it save your life? Like what place were you at when you discovered um, yoga? Yoga, yeah. Um, I was 23 when I really got into it. Um, I had some introductions before that, but 23 is when I really got into it. And um, I, it's kind of, let's backtrack. So I'm adopted and I'm adopted by my grandfather, my mother's father, my grandfather and my step-grandmother. My brother and my sister were adopted as well, but not by my adopted parents. They were adopted. Uh, my brother was adopted by some family in Boston. My sister was adopted by my aunt Eileen and raised in New Orleans. So myself and my siblings were split up. Mm. Um, before that, we lived off and on with my mother outside of Greenville in a little trailer park. Um, I was in foster care for a lot of the time between the ages of one and three with one family mm-hmm. um, and then back with my mom, sometimes with my sister and my brother, sometimes not. The, our father did not stick around. Both my mother and my father were dealing with drug issues. They were both very, very young. Mm. Um, so there were drugs around us 
there was uh, physical abuse, there was sexual abuse, mm. there was a sort of a crew of men that came through. Lots of lots of really traumatic things happened to us at an age where we have very little, if any, real memory of these things, but our nervous system does, mm-hmm. you know, and so... And your subconscious. I mean, and my subconscious, yeah. yeah, of course. And so yeah. we all have dealt with that in different ways through our lives as adults, as young people and as adults. But then being adopted by my grandparents at the age of three, separated from my siblings, and then my grandfather also has battled alcoholism his entire life. And... Uh, so I grew up in a that household walking on eggshells, you know, trying to be the child of an alcoholic and dealing with that. Um, mm. So by the time I was a teenager, I was pretty, I had a pretty dim view of the world. Mm. And not of everyone, but I felt like a lot of people were bad people. Mm-hmm. A lot. I felt like a lot of adults couldn't be trusted. I felt like... Um, also I felt like I couldn't trust myself when you, when you experience a lot of turmoil as a child, you know, there's different ways of coping with that. And I coped in all kinds of interesting ways. But by the time I was a young adult, I was sort of lost and I was recreating the drama that I had grown up with in my personal life through drugs and knew. alcohol and drama and mm-hmm. like lots of partners mm-hmm. being uh, hypersexual and then not at all and then you know drinking and partying just and then like, just like this crazy yeah. wave um right. of sort of self-destructive behavior all the while feeling like I was doing a disservice to myself I knew like you know that inner voice it's pretty clear and it's oh, yeah. saying this isn't this is not serving you right and it was getting pretty loud for me. And, and I, I remember looking at a boyfriend in New Orleans when I was living there in my early 20s and saying to him, do you feel really disconnected from your inner life? Hmm. And I remember him looking at me like I was crazy. And I was like, you know. Like you, you said the craziest thing like in the I whole said world. the craziest <laughs> thing in the whole world. And he was like, I don't know what you mean. And I was like, your inner life, like who hmm. you really are, hmm. how you see things. Don't you feel like there's a big contradiction between that person and the life you're living? Right. And what I was really saying was, I feel that way. Right. Uh, yeah. You, you wanted him way. to also please, feel that way. Because then you could both me. be like, <laughs> please affirm yes. me because I feel like a crazy person. <laughs> and so I, I moved to Charleston and um, got into yoga pretty quickly, sort of accidentally, but got into it. And I knew the first time I did the practice um, that it was going to be for me. I just knew it was, I was just a really hard, fast. Yes. Because I already, you see that that voice was already, that clarity was already there that, that like, this has got to change. This is out of alignment. Right. This is out of alignment. I mean, you again pushed to your edge kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And so very quickly after that class, I also knew I wanted to be a yoga teacher, but that was in 2003, right away. away. It was just a, yeah, it was just a quick yes, which is surprising I've only gotten a few of those in my life, but it was one of them. And a few months after I started practicing at the studio, I was that goober that immediately went out and bought all the books and started <laughs> studying on my own, unsolicited, oh, awesome. stayed after class, bugged the teachers, asked them questions. You're like, I need to I need know to more. know. I need to know everything. I need to know it all. I need to know it all. Yeah. I need to know it right now. Yeah. And the owner of the studio was like four months in or five months in said, I'm going to do a little teacher training. 
And it was not open to the public and he didn't charge us anything for it. It was four months in the back room of a yoga studio. It was myself and two other women. One of them dropped out pretty quickly. So then it was just myself and one other woman. Oh my gosh. Um, and actually she's now a pretty well-known sustainable clothing designer. Her Ooh. name is Adrian Antonson. Oh, cool. Um, her company is called State the Label. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so they're, they're really cool. That. She does a lot of felting work and mm. sustainable, beautiful oh, things that she makes. Yeah. Funky. They're funky smocks and things. Anyways, I'm oh, getting fine. sidetracked. I just had to plug her because she's such a cool person. But oh, she nice. did that did that with me, and yeah. we we learned one sequence. We memorized one power <laughs> yoga sequence. Oh my gosh! And like every modification that you could possibly imagine. And then after four months, we taught that sequence to the entire uh, teacher body. Oh wow! Of the studio, Ooh. and they gave us feedback. It was scary. <laughs> and they, I got some really hard feedback. Mm. And I went home and cried my eyes out that night and was like, oh, doing it anyways. Still going forward. Still going forward. Stop me. <laughs> not going to stop me. Yeah. And it did not, of course. And then that was it. I started teaching way too soon. Mm. But I think that the fact that I had such an intense calling and I had a background in dance and theater mm. and art history and re- reflection around psychology and the crisis. Mm-hmm. I think when you've had a crisis, you understand how important a lifeline is once you find it. Mm-hmm. And it creates a different kind of connection to the practice of yoga when you realize mm. that it is the yoga of crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to get right with Jesus or something because <laughs> it's not, what I'm doing is not working. Mm-hmm. I need something. Mm-hmm. It's like a crisis of faith. People people yeah. have something terrible yeah. happen to them or, or they're they're screwing up their lives or they can't figure out why they can't connect to something right. and they go to a, a religious practice. They go to their, I mean, it used to be more, you know, you go to church, right. you get help there, you go to your family. Um, those were not outlets for me that would, would work. Right. So... This yoga did. Yeah. Yoga did. This was like your temple. Yep. And it's been yeah. this endless unfolding that, you know, besides the business of yoga and the branding of yoga and all that crap yeah. that I just like, blah. Yeah. The truth is that it's just this beautiful, tiny little set of tools. I'm going to say tiny. I mean, they're simple tools right. that you apply and you have this experience with yourself and it just grows over time more and more and more rich. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is why I have that view of the holiness of dailiness because I've learned to feel the holiness of just my bones, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that like the sweetness of just being in the boundaries of my body, Mm -hmm. fat or thin, young or old, just this, just this body as home. Yeah. And then you just expand that view a little bit to the space right around you, you know, Mm -hmm. to your kitchen. (laughs) <laughs> and then like to your loved ones yeah you know and the bubble just gets bigger and, and it becomes like now I'm at home in this space now I'm at home in this space and so then it becomes this uh slow mm-hmm. deepening but also kind of widening net of mm-hmm. being at home in the world it's beautiful it is beautiful and it's not and it's not it has nothing to do with whether or not you can do backflips at all yeah <laughs> although I, those are cool too those are fun those are fun but it uh, social but it media has also convinced us that that's what we're supposed to be doing right and that's unfortunate <laughs> yeah. i there those things are fun but i would hate for anyone to to miss the gifts of yoga because they think that they're not strong enough flexible enough or gymnastic enough mm-hmm. because none of those things are particularly necessary if you have a body mm-hmm. that breathes you can do it I mean, 
I think that's really profound when you go to yoga class and you see all different types of people, yeah. all different body types, and they're all doing their doing, thing. Doing their thing. Yeah. You know? And it's not, comp- it should be. All different be, ages. Yeah. All different yeah. ages. It yeah. shouldn't be competitive. Right. If it is competitive for you, that's okay. You can acknowledge it. I'm in a play. I'm a very competitive person. I'm being competitive. But competitive competitive. to other people or competitive to yourself? Because I can can sometimes feel competitive towards, I mean, just me personally (laughs) and what I could do last week. Or like, oh my gosh, I did this pose that I've never done before. This was awesome. You know? Right. But not like looking at somebody else and be like... I'm going to do this better than them. Well, I'd know? say that those are different layers. <laughs> those are different <laughs> layers. Like I would say that, no, you're absolutely not competing with other people. Also, right. eventually, I'd hope that you're not even competing with yourself right. because you may you may get crow pose this week. And then the next week is terrible. And the next week is terrible. Yeah. But what about 20 years from now? Because yeah. you know, like the long game is right. your wrists can go, your knees can go. Yeah, and no amount of yoga or prayer or acupuncture is going to keep you young forever. Right. It, the body ages. Structural aging is a thing. They, right. The po- poses will come and go. So. But I do think yoga is a practice that people can do they a can, long time. You can do it. You can do it forever. As Just long different. As, you, as long as you it respect that yeah. you're, that you're, that where you are in the practice will change. Right. And that that has nothing to do with whether you're advanced or not. Being advanced mm-hmm. in a yoga practice is how um, integrated do you feel during and after how attentive can you stay to being in the experience that you're having while you're there? Mm. How much does that organization of self, how much of that can you carry into your life? Where do you see the effects of it reaching into your life? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you love better? Mm. Do you sleep better? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, there's... For sure. There are other, <laughs> the, the indications of a successful yoga practice are not to put one's leg behind one's head, although... We do use the body to work with patterns. So sometimes you are going to be in a place that is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That is for sure going to happen. Leg behind the head, yes. Leg behind the head, yeah. I've for, never for done too. that one. <laughs> oh, back when I taught Ashtanga, that was... Could you do that? Um, I can... I Most of bit. the primary series at one time, I could do the poses. When you get into the second series... It starts to get hairy for me because the the primary series is a lot of forward folding type actions mm-hmm. and a lot of lotus pose variations, external mm-hmm. rotation, and my body can just do both of those. Yeah, and it could right out of the gate yeah, pretty much. That those are two movements that mm-hmm. yep yeah, that my architecture allows. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to back bends, not so much. Mm, my body like doesn't. Derek. My body don't like them. Yeah. Mm-mm. So I do them, but I, when I say back bends, I don't always do wheel, but I do work a lot with thoracic mobilization, shoulder girdle mobilization mm-hmm. for my body because that's not where my body naturally goes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I could do some of that stuff. I probably could still do some of it, but some of it, again, it, if I'm just doing it to do it, you know, yeah, I can that's sort of take or leave that. Yeah, yeah. What is really interesting to me is doing like a low lunge with my back knee down and the top mm. of my back foot on the floor and then trying to make micro movements in my spine while organizing my breath without letting my hips rock. I mean, like, that's the weird micro minutiae I obsess with now. Can I keep my hips steady? Is that for steady? your favorite pose? Yeah. Well, it wasn't my practice today, and it felt so difficult. I was pouring sweat trying to get oh my, gosh, my yeah. spine to move in a circle in the right. up, upper half of my body from my navel up. While from my pelvis down, I was hugging in and stationary. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult. <laughs> I was like, well, this is Why so, can I do that? This is, doesn't look impressive. I was tempted to go and like turn my phone on and record it just so I could show people these tiny things that I do. 
Or like another thing that I was doing was, and maybe this, I don't know that this will translate in the podcast, but if people want to try it, you just do basically a seated staff, which means you're sitting on your butt with your legs out in front of you as if you were going to fold forward. But instead of folding forward, you stay upright in your spine and you try to stay as much like a perfect L as you Mm -hmm. can. And then you put your hands on the floor, just lightly touching Mm -hmm. and try to lift one leg off the earth by an inch without rocking back in your rib cage so or your hard. pelvis. And I was just doing that over and over and over again. Oh my and my gosh. quads were shaking. <laughs> and I was like, wow, oh, this is really intense. My psoas muscles were grabbing oh my so much. Yeah. It, was, it was so powerful. Wow. Um, but also a really small So small. Movement. That movement is so small. Yeah. But so profound. So profound because yeah. then, you know, your psoas muscles do all this work. There's these deep hip flexors. Yeah. And then if you lay down on your back and you come into bridge right afterwards and you open them, it like blows the doors off energetically. Ah. You're like, holy crap, yeah. that's amazing. You get this big whoosh, this big release. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and the energetics, that's what I'm into. The energetics yeah. of practice, how it, um, biohacking is a popular term mm. now. And so I use it, it only because term, people yeah. like to say it. Yeah. And it speaks, a, speak of the language of the yeah. people. But it, it's like really so. Old what does bio? What would you say biohacking is? For I think it's um, understanding some of the science behind how the mind, the body, say sometimes it's hormones. I mean, it can be in any given field, right? But it's mm-hmm. using simple techniques and or sometimes it's supplements. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's CBD oil. CBD oil, mm-hmm. yeah, things that we've <laughs> uncovered that can basically like remedy or speed up or shift things quickly in your system so Mm -hmm. like what's a hack it's kind of like a smart way around something yeah versus the long road it's like the shortcut well hatha yoga is the shortcut to the older yoga practices the older yoga practices were philosophical and meditative Mm. in the last 150 200 years when hatha became a formal practice it was not a practice of fitness it was a way of biohacking speeding up the practices of meditation so some people say oh yoga is preparing your body for meditation that's where all the stretching came from but i would not exactly it wasn't to make you flexible enough to meditate Hmm. it was actually to affect the energetics of your body so think like chinese medicine Mm -hmm. and acupuncture it was to affect the flow of prana Mm-hmm. to clear patterns psychobiologically mm-hmm. so that instead of having to sit for 20 years to work through one grunty or one kind of knot, mm-hmm. you could speed up that process of working through that knot. And it, I always say Hatha yoga and Raja yoga. So Raja yoga is the older classical yoga meditation. Mm-hmm. When they're done together, big, 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 powerful set of tools, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But Hatha yoga is the biohacking of yoga. Mm. Hatha yoga, which just means using postures and breath work specifically to affect the energetics and the psychology of the body, right? Mm-hmm. To work towards the goals and aims of yoga. And the goals and aims of yoga are, what are they, Rebecca? Duh. <laughs> you gotta, can is, I this is a test. You? Is this a test? No, please study? don't test me. <laughs> I did not study. <laughs> I took yoga one-on-one at my freshman year in college. That's the first time I ever did yoga. Did you take it here in Charleston? Mm-hmm. Did you take I, it with Skip? In no, it was um, an older lady who, of course, I had so many professors that they were like, this was my last semester. That was her last semester. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was 2004. Uh-huh. It was great. I don't was remember a, who. It was a Tuesday, Thursday class. And I just remember feeling so, this is like, obviously like an 18, 19 year old, like mentality. Um, I just remember 
I had my iPods, like the old iPod, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. With, so I would wear my iPods and I would walk to class, to yoga class with my yoga pet mat and just thought I was like so cool. Was, like, you were time. so cool. I, so. I, I was, was such an, oh my gosh. When I got started, <laughs> I was such a nerd. I did all the things. I remember counting my steps oh. while I walked from <laughs> my house to my job at a pizza shop. <laughs> counting my steps so that I could do like a mindfulness meditation on the way to work. Oh my gosh. And now I'm like, geez. That Man, was really over the that's top. Some, that's really over the top. <laughs> but you're like, look at me. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so special. So cool. I'm getting enlightened. I'm so enlightened right now. <laughs> going to my pizza job. <laughs> going to go sling some pizzas. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, where was yeah. it? Andalini's or something? Were you uh, here? No, no, Sharky's. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember gosh. Sharky's? Yes. Yeah. So Sharky's what? had a few different variations, but I was there for the tail end of the original Sharky's, and then this really lovely Italian family took it over for a short period of time and that's kind of the heyday of when I was there um yeah. the Menentes is their name so shout out to any of them if they ever oh listen to gosh. this um but we we had some fun there man it was like right when I was getting into yoga and doing all the things and studying to become a teacher and actually the reason that I went to the studio that I went to is because I was the floor manager I guess you could say for like the servers and I interviewed someone and hired her and she's the one who told me about it and that was Adrian Antonson who what? later did that training with me oh my gosh. and is now a clothing designer that's but awesome. that's how we met at the pizza shop and then we went to the yoga studio together <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's I'm awesome. like kismet you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so much yeah so much juicy kind of I don't know. I don't like to say magic, but magic is just what's always happening. Yeah, it is magic. It's magic, it's but magic. it's also not magical. It's just what's yeah. always happening. Yeah, yeah. Things are always following things. Yeah. You know, I don't know what my point was anymore, but it got funny. I don't know. Talking about it. <laughs> oh, but what our is yoga? Young, I'm asking young you. What do you, like, how do you, hmm. like, what's the point of yoga? I mean, to What's m- the goal? Well, f- mine is just uh, calming the mind, probably. Yeah, and, that's the de- and that's, so that's mean, the definition. So yoga, that's yogas, yogas chitta vritti narodaha. Yeah. That's like fancy Sanskrit, but it translates a bunch of different basic ways. Yoga is the calming of the fluctuations of the huh. mind or really, but, but so let me ask you. So then if yoga is about calming the mind to what end, what happens when the mind is calm? Hmm. That's the real, that's the answer to the question. What happens to the mind? What happens to the self? I don't know. <laughs> when the mind is calm. <laughs> you're like. I'm enlightened. Trapped. I'm just kidding. Uh, yes and no. But like what happens to the self when the mind is calm is that we perceive reality more clearly. Oh. Right. So the, so the mm. goal of yoga is to inhabit truth mm. or, or reality. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind. Well, I mean, and I will say then to that. That for sure, when I am practicing yoga, because there sometimes you know I'll go. Well, I'm I'm pretty regular, I guess now. But there were times in my life that I was not practicing yoga, mm-hmm. and I did feel I felt more restless in my day to day life, you know, um, and I wasn't present as much. So for sure, when I am doing yoga, I'm all those things, mm-hmm. and I'm just more content, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, with mm-hmm. the, the mundane things that you're even talking about. I right. mean, that we were talking about at the beginning. Right. Um, yeah. That's the, that's the, yeah. that's the thing. So, um, I want people to be, I just, I just don't care if people are thin is the thing. Hmm. 
I care. Yeah. I care if you if you can find your feet, if you can take a deep breath, if yeah. you can, you know, look at yourself with both compassion and accountability. And mm-hmm. that's hard to do both. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's what, you know, we're trying to get at is, is integrity, mm-hmm. is being in integrity in our lives. And being compassionate when we realize that we're not in integrity. Mm-hmm. I mean, physically, for, for sure, I mean, going you know, looking at the the alignment aspect and just the, the general awareness of your body. I mean, that's for sure a huge part for me too, you mm-hmm. know. I sit differently when I drive now. Of course, mm-hmm. that's also the way that I understand yoga has continued to evolve because I'm a rolfer. Oh, yeah, we need to talk about that. Yeah, um, so, th- you know, that's a kind of, people ask me what that is. It's a kind of body work. Um, the woman who invented it is Ida Rolf. Have you ever been rolfed? Oh, yeah. You I have? did 10 sessions. Did you do it? Who did you do it? Jer- uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He's one of my mentors. Oh, yeah? I love oh him. God, I love Jeremiah. Yes. We love Jeremiah Evers. He's wonderful. Yeah. Sue Boatwright is another longtime established rolfer in the city. She is probably the most senior rolfer in the area, probably in a pretty large swath of the Southeast. Yeah. There's a few others that are kind of OGs. But anyways, both of those are mentors of mine. And um, when I was studying yoga I met Jeremiah he moved to Charleston from Atlanta and had just become a rolfer in the early 2000s and we were both new baby yoga teachers too Mm. and he taught a little bit at the studio because he used to teach yoga he doesn't anymore yeah and when he would talk about the body he was talking about it in a way that really I found miraculous and Mm. I was like this language this way of seeing Mm -hmm. that you have is different than what I have Mm -hmm. and um Remember I mentioned earlier when I said that there were some ahas that were coming up pretty quickly when I would teach a set style, I would start to want to do something different with it depending on who was Mm -hmm. in front of me. Some of those ahas Mm. I got affirmation on by talking to Jeremiah because I would say, does it really make sense to do this, this, and this with a hip when the foot looks like this? And he would say, no, it does not. And let me tell you why. Uh And I would go, thank God someone else is intelligent. Like that this isn't just because, you know, how we learn to teach yoga typically in modern, the modern world is you just memorize something. Almost everybody, that's where they start. Mm. And when you memorize something, that means you You don't know why you're you're doing it. it. It's very difficult to teach that in in a little 200 hour program to really understand the uh, sort of exercise science element. Mm hmm. In a well, little you have to know like the biology and right. the, you know physiology. You really have to, stuff. yeah. You have yeah. to have a lot more study mm-hmm. than that to be to really be able to deal with um, answering the whys mm-hmm. and making choices on your own on the fly. That comes from a lot more knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, he um, and I were friends, and I was really impressed with his work. And a few years after that, I did get Rolf. I did the ten series, and I had a really intense experience with it of it changing my sense of the three-dimensional awareness of my body. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like when someone puts an mm-hmm. elbow in your hip and you feel the sensation travel, mm-hmm. when you can feel your bones in a different way mm-hmm. and you feel your body in gravity in a different way, um, it starts to change the inquiry process and in everything that you do that's movement related. It starts mm-hmm. to just change. You're running and you're like, wow, I can really feel that <laughs> weight traveling up to this specific part of my knee. Yeah. Like it just, it started to open up some channels of information and feedback so that I started to make different choices. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make smart choices when you don't have feeling awareness and feedback from your own body. Right. And you can't get that without being very um, slow and precise. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't finding that in yoga at the time because I was doing mostly power yoga. And so 
I was finding some benefit and definitely some meaning in that practice. Please don't get me wrong. Right. This is not judgment yeah, on that. Yeah. But yeah. for me personally, I've found that I've had to slow way down to find the three-dimensional experience of my body and also my feelings during the practice. I have to move slower to find those things and mm-hmm. have them feel all a part of one. If I do a really fast, really hot, really loud practice, what I get is it's fun, it's loud, I'm dancing, my energy is sort of all out on the surface of my body, and then we get the shavasana, and I just crash, and I rest, and that's great. It's cathartic. It's like dancing, Yeah, and I love that, but that feels very different than doing precise kind of body alignment work Mm -hmm. where I'm both asking things of my body and listening for answers. And Rolfing taught me that. Getting Rolfed and then becoming a Rolfer really taught me that process of inquiry, which is just different. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, a lot of people are practicing that form of yoga that is about like catharsis, endorphins, Mm -hmm. and and fun. Yeah. And like just embracing, like having a body that moves and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's That's a plus. Right. However... You know, uh, the a lot of the work that yoga claims to do, I didn't find, really find that it was effective until I found this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it opened up a mm. lot more of that feedback. So rolfing was what? So rolfing, yeah. yeah. Mm. Rolfing for me was more yoga than the yoga I was doing. In working with my own real patterns yeah. and my actual body and the narratives there, I would, after a rolfing session, sometimes I would feel... Uh, like I needed to go and sleep for two hours and cry in a ball. Sometimes I was angry. I'd call it Rolf rage. <laughs> you know, all these layers were being peeled back and exposed. Right. Right. All of that trauma mm-hmm. was being titrated. Isn't that amazing? You know, that Rolfing just because it's the fascia, right? So mm-hmm. that's why you're you're working the fascia, which is where, you know, you can hold trauma in, in any parts of our body. Mm-hmm. And fascia and talks to the like, nervous system. I mean, it's uh-huh. like super bound up. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I and I say all of that, and then people come to Rolfing and they're like, "Fix my knee," and I'm like, "Damn it, okay, <laughs> I'll do my best." But you know, really, what we're doing mm-hmm. in Rolfing is this hands-on body work. I think a lot of people think it's super painful, and it can hurt, it can but tickle it, also. It can tickle, <laughs> and it also doesn't have to hurt to work. Sometimes right. it feels very light. Sometimes it's like pressure. Sometimes it's rocking. Um, but we are trying to make contact with fascia, both both just under the skin, like myofascia, but also mm-hmm. deep layers of fascia. So sometimes to go deep, it is heavy pressure. Mm-hmm. But again, it doesn't have to hurt to work. Mm. Um, but sometimes it does sometimes. hurt when it's working. Yeah, That's like my tagline for rolfing. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to hurt to work, but it, sometimes it hurts when it's working. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Rolfing with KJ. <laughs> oh. uh, air quotes. Um, but yeah, so... Eventually, I decided, you know, I thought I was going to go back to school about seven years into teaching. I was Mm. sort of over teaching community classes because I felt like I was hitting a wall with where I could take people. Mm. The drop in formats also really hard because you're you're teaching some consistent people, but a lot of people that are just popping in and passing through. Mm -hmm. So anywhere you're trying to go, it's you have to explain it all over again. Mm. You never can get very Mm. deep and you can never really shut up. Silence is really important in yoga. And I was always having to talk because I was always trying to teach because mm. I always had new students. Right. And so yeah. when you have lots of regulars, you can talk a lot and they get it, but you can also shut up. And they have had enough practice right. that they can just do their work. And you can get out of the way and watch and just 
tap in when you need to. Which I love. Yeah. And that's also a thing that I feel like a lot of yoga teachers don't do anymore. They're not like hands-on, you know? Yeah. Like I go to studios around town and nobody touches anybody. And I'm like, come touch me. Well, there's good, but there's <laughs> that good sounds reasons, weird. But there's good reasons for not touching if you don't know what you're doing. And you got a right. lot of teachers that don't. It's true. I mean, and again, just I love, them out, right? I love, I, mean, I love my baby yoga teachers. I really, I, you know, I teach teachers yeah. and I, I really have a soft spot for where they are when they're new. Yeah. They don't know very much. Right. Their heart is in a good place and they want to be of service. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of just, you know, out there in the dark with this room full of all these different so bodies. That would be scary. It's scary. It'll be scary. I mean, and, I don't and think And they do I their be best. A so teacher. <laughs> it's hard work. I mean, I wanted, I would love to do my yoga teacher training just to really be able to dive in, you know, for however many, what is it? Three months? Depends. depends. Our program on... is six months, oh. but I, you know, better. I'm that, I'm that obnoxious lady who's like, <laughs> we're turning the music off and now you have to be I alone like with your silence. And now we're going <laughs> to, now if you want to be a yoga teacher, I'm going to say two years experience and this program is six months. And by the end of it, you still won't know shit. Mm-hmm. Because it's a lifetime of study and the there really isn't an end to it because with every single person you meet, you're trying to give them the tools so they can do their own personal work with their patterns. Hmm. But you're also, as a teacher, always over time, like not only Rolfing has deeply informed my teaching, but teaching has informed my teaching, like teaching a student body that is consistent. Mm-hmm seeing what they need over time. Um, if we t- teach a lot of forward folding, and then what I see is that they get really flexible in their posterior chain, but then all of a sudden all of their sacrums hurt. Mm. And I'm like, oh, their posterior chains are weak because most of po- modern postural yoga stretches the posterior chain. So we have to engage it. So we're going to need to do more mini back bends. We're going to need to do more mm. um, like – glute work glute work mm-hmm. yeah so like even though i just said it's not about the body it is also about the Obviously, body yes. yeah <laughs> there's uh, contradictions about yeah. you know yeah um but teaching people teaches you how to teach over mm-hmm. time too i can see that yeah yeah and it just keeps changing yeah what I love about rolfing is that someone walks into the room and they strip down to their underpants. Super exciting for me. And, <laughs> super uh, awkward for the person. Super awkward you. for them. It is. I used um, to wear my bathing. I would wear my bathing suit because I just. I don't know why. Socially, I feel like that's more acceptable, even though it literally looks <laughs> I, the exact same. I, don't, I wear. I would get. I go by like. They're sort of like underwear, but they're like booty shorts. Oh yeah, yeah. I wear like booty shorts. And you don't a, wear those out. Your booty shorts. Girl, <laughs> I'm forty. Fun. What? 40 fun years old. I don't wear no booty shorts. I don't know why anybody wears booty shorts. No. I don't care how old you are. Yeah, you really shouldn't. Just shouldn't wear them. Put your ass cheeks away, ladies. I see them all the time. They're very in right now. That, Dang. That's so off subject. But gosh, thanks, those booty shorts. <laughs> if I can see your butt cheek in public, uh, especially on the street in Charleston, which is a city, by the way, not the beach. Right. Right. Know that when you go to the beach, you can wear your short shorts yeah, over your bathing there. suit. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Totally makes Context sense. Context is really important. I've seen some <laughs> booty shorts and then they're with their parents. And I'm like, did your parents buy you those? <sighs> I don't know. This is a weird world we live in, y'all. It's a weird world. I mean, I'm and I'm not, a, I don't believe in slut shaming. I am a fan of I, women embracing and expressing their sexuality. But I'm a feminist all day long. But also, I think you should put your butt cheeks I away. Both things, paradox, I mean, if you're a man, I don't want to see your butt I cheeks either. I mean, no, no. 
It's just not, it's just not appropriate. It's never appropriate. It's never appropriate. No. no. Um, okay. We got off subject, but I probably know. this was so refreshing, good. right? Little. No, we have to have some comic relief. Everybody. <laughs> Otherwise it's but too heavy. talking about butt cheeks. I mean. But I know. do love a butt cheek and I can learn a lot about a body by looking at a butt cheek, actually. <laughs> Actually, like in the rolling room, awesome. I'm okay with a butt cheek being out because yeah, context, yeah. it's appropriate. And you, you can see that butt cheek, and you can maybe know what's going on underneath. Yeah, sometimes you can. You know, sometimes you maybe can. not. But yeah, so they, they strip down to their event. underwear, and then I have them walk back and forth, and back yeah, and yeah. forth, and back oh, and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. Mm, and I, um, <laughs> I know it's really uncomfortable if you're not used to it, but. I always tell people when I'm looking at them, I'm not looking for your flaws. Contrary to what you think, I'm softening my eyes and I'm looking to, I'm kind of trying to take in the, your movement as a whole, the Mm -hmm. sort of like feeling of how you step and walk and move and what swings and what doesn't. And then it's like, okay, this person has a good connection to the ground, but right around their hips, something feels stuck it's like mm-hmm. see where the movement is flowing and then see where it gets stuck yeah and then work on it it's almost like i visualize when you when you just said that i visualize like the old-timey movies or like a cartoon that they you know somebody walks behind one of those x-ray things and you just see their skeleton yeah. you know it's kind of like that like it's you're like that. just looking at yeah i'm looking at the overall movement pattern and flow of the body mm-hmm. and relationships and not I don't know what we label culturally as right. like flaws or perfections yeah. or things no. like that at all. Which is just, which changes every, I mean, it's silly anyways. Oh, it is. It, it is. I can see generation, you know, I would, I, and this is funny too. And, and we all do it deep down. We all know we do it. I think Yeah. when you look at a body in a picture, mm-hmm. especially if it's someone you don't know, you can be hypercritical about the dimensions, the lines, the shape, the tone, all of that. You can be really hypercritical. But when you see a person in front of you and you watch them move across the room, it has so much more to do with the way their body is in relationship with itself and the space around it that makes them seem attractive or vibrant or alive Mm -hmm. than the size of their waist or the tone of their skin. And we can't put, a, put our fingers on it, but as, as humans, as animals, we actually are always reading body language, the communication of movement mm-hmm. to understand if someone's well or not. Mm-hmm. So you can see these people who are um, working really, really hard in the gym, and when you just take a snapshot of their aesthetic, you're like, oh, they look really fit. And you see them walk, and things are very out mm-hmm. of whack and not... Okay not flowing, not fluid. Right. And then all of a sudden that there's a dis, there's a, a, a like a tension. There's a mm-hmm. disagreement between the aesthetic and the functional, mm-hmm. you know, there's a fuzz. It's a cat fuzz. Cat fuzz on my mic. Okay. There, it was making me crazy. I can see it peripherally and I was kind of watching Sorry, it. Like your eyes just like <laughs> went cross-eyed. And you're, like <laughs> you're like, what is wrong with that woman? Uh, it was just, it was kind of flowing with the wind. Anyways. <laughs> it's the, uh, the air went, or the heat came on. And right. Yeah, it's like. And it triggered the little yeah. flow. But uh, I, I can't remember who said it in the rolfing world. Someone said, how you move is who you are. Hmm. How you move is who you are. So not. Hmm. Like when I was early in my yoga practice, I used to, I'd catch myself on a regular basis, sliding my hand under my shirt and pinching the fat on my waist to see if I could pinch it or not. 
know. Right, because body weight is currency for young women, especially if you don't have money in the bank or a lot of degrees or a good job. You're like, well, I better stay hot so someone will love me or else I'm going to die alone and starving. (laughs) I mean... I know, it's so it's so sad and it's so true. It's true that at least that that's in our mind. Yeah. And to some degree... We're conditioned to think that. We're conditioned that. to think that. Yeah. So that's even in my in my desire and all my study of yoga, what I understood intellectually to be true, I was not able to embody for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing to remind people of, that the mind and the body, although they're really one thing, like what we can understand cognitively and what we can embody, aren't they don't happen at the same ratio. Mm. Right? When you hear something that's like... We're all, we all deserve love. And you can say, yes, I agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. But on a day-to-day basis, do you act in ways, do you make choices in ways that communicate that you actually keep that as a core belief? Or do you make choices that communicate that at your core, you think you don't deserve love? You know, what's your organizing principle? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I had to come to terms with in 16 years of yoga teaching and practice is that I could talk the talk long before I could inhabit. And that was hard because mm. then I felt fake. Mm. And now I do less yogic things, but I'm more in, I, in, I inhabit. The ideas are no longer ideas. They're in my body. And so there doesn't need to be as much external proof, you know, that, you're a yogi. that I'm a yogi <laughs> because I can, I just, it's just changed who I am yeah. internally. Mm-hmm. But it took time. Mm-hmm. more time than I'd like to admit. I think that if I could go back now, and of course you can't do that, but if I could start at a different place in my yoga journey than the styles I started with, I don't know if I would have been willing to do the other things first. Hmm. Like you you would you would wish what? That, you're, that you started doing more what you well, do like, now? Yeah. yeah. I wish I could have, I, I wish I had had access to this kind of practice, but yeah. I think... Um, Again, I just said, even though I was doing all those things, I was still squeezing my belly fat 24-7, you know, and making bargains with myself about what I should and shouldn't be eating all the time. And it wasn't about health. It was more about calories. External. External. It was all about the external. It wasn't about fuel. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, not about nutrition, like not how, about nutrition. how, what kind of nutrient dense things can I eat? <laughs> right. It wasn't about that. Yeah. Not most of the time. I mean, that time period was even, I mean, the 2000s were terrible for that. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's the scary and thing about. And everybody was really skinny back then. Yeah. Like if you look at all the celebrities who, I mean, it was those low rise jeans, mm-hmm. which are terrible. Mm-hmm. And you have to be extremely thin to pull those off in a good way. Oh man. I mean. Really, you know, really thin. Like rail thin. Yeah. And so. of which, and of which, if you're naturally, I don't know how we got into body weight, but it's important right. to talk about because yoga is in the culture of, you know, fitness, wellness, yeah. the fitness, you know. And we see all these images of yoga, yoga chicks. Right. You know. That are super, super fit in a yeah. very particular way. Yeah. They're a certain size. They're a certain color. They're of a certain age. Right. Um. And it just creates an illusion around it. I feel very good about the fact that after having my son, I gained weight and I now my healthy weight is just like the scale, the line of it has moved like where where we land there, that sort of 10 pound healthy ratio. It's just moved. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad because when I was younger, I felt a little bit bad. I didn't want people to look at my body 
and think that they should look like me. Cause I, I had this obsession with being thin and looking a particular way, mm-hmm. but I knew that I didn't want them to feel like that was the way that they should look. I already knew mm-hmm. it's again, it's that knowing before you can inhabit it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I remember that feeling like, God, I don't want them to think like you have to look like a Barbie. It's ridiculous. Right. You shouldn't. Mm-mm. But you know, we're the last to take our own advice. Oh, always. So it's so great now. Oh, it's now. really easy to give it it's out. It's really easy to give so it out. So easy to give it out. Yeah. But it's it's so good now being 41, um, having a son who's six and having a business. Um, I feel really good about the fact that my body is the way that it is. Yeah. You know, I think that it's, to have a body that is healthy, but not overly aesthetically tidy, if you will, (laughs) Uh, it gives permission to everyone else that's practicing. Like you don't, you don't need to look a particular way and you all are welcome, but you don't need to look a particular way. Right. I think that I'm not saying that it always comes with, getting older but I think that more often than not younger people are always going to have not always but oftentimes are going to have those issues yeah yeah wisdom does come with age yeah my one of my favorite things that I learned about aging and the process of aging in the last few years is in a book that I read and I can't remember I think it might have been Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers is the name of the oh book. Oh my gosh, I've got to read this book. you got to read this book. One of my other friends had told me that she, that was like one of her favorite books ever. And yeah. she read it in college and like changed her life, you know? Yeah, it's an I, impo- I think it's a great book. And yeah. it's uh, written by a doctor. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that he talks about is in aging, in the aging process, we do have cognitive decline in like our ability to remember, you remember earlier when I randomly remembered sarsaparilla? Yeah. We were talking about the recall. I don't think that was on here. I think it was before we started I know, recording. I wish we had talked about that as well. <laughs> but that recall of random facts, Yeah. you definitely, your jeopardy skills go down as you age. Right. However, something that absolutely improves with age is emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence. Hear that again, sure. like emotional intelligence. So we all have things to look forward to when we get old. Yeah, there's something. <laughs> everyone that, everyone can be happy. Yeah, wi- wisdom. One, one more year. <laughs> wisdom is a thing and it is, yeah. it's coming for you. Even if you don't do yoga, you're already on a track of maturing. On a, You're on a path just by being human. Like the path mm-hmm. of humanness is a path towards self-acceptance, compassion, and, you know, uh, wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yoga is just one of, one of many kinds of tools that's trying to help us m- to find that sooner and more fully and mm-hmm. more readily available to us. Our pro- own process of maturing, our own process of wellness and wholeness mm-hmm. that's really natural to us anyways. Yeah. I mean, it should be our default state, but I think society in general, especially modern society, our society now, um, makes that more difficult, you know? That's true. There's a lot about what's happening, what we're surrounded by, that if you bought into it, it would be deeply corrosive yeah. to your well-being. I mean, it can it can suck you in, too. I mean, you know, I talk about social media often, and, you know, we're all on so not we all, but you and I are both on social yeah. media, and probably most people who are listening are on social media. Um, you might have even 
learned about this podcast through social media, but I think that it can be extremely uh, negative, whether you realize it that it's affecting you that way or not. Oh, yeah. Jealousy and um, a, a lack of or a sense that someone else is ahead of you mm-hmm. or or that they're getting credit for something that you've been doing for mm-hmm. a really long time. I hear that a lot from friends of mine who are like, man, I have been quietly laboring in this field and doing really good work. And this other person basically started doing it last week, but because they're self, they're shamelessly self-promoting, they're getting all this attention. And here I am doing the good work and getting none. And I'm like, yeah, then that happens. It happens. It does happen. Yeah. But you know, I have to take accountability for myself. When that comes up for me, I have to say, if I'm over here doing the good work, but I'm afraid to put it out there mm-hmm. and I'm going to pretend like it's my own humbleness and humility that keeps me from putting my views out there. Mm-hmm. And then I get mad when somebody else is not afraid to put it out there. Mm-hmm. That's on me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are working hard in a field right. and that you feel passionate about, put it out there. Or if you're not comfortable with putting it out there, live with where you are. Right. That's, I think that goes to like, you know, vulnerability and mm-hmm. just, being comfortable in the vulnerability, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, for years, didn't want to talk too much publicly about the way that I saw yoga because I did not want people to think that I was a jerk and that I was judging everyone else. I Mm. was so, so worried that my friends who had other studios, who had other systems, systems that I don't agree with, that I would hurt their feelings, that I would be seen as kind of like a yoga tyrant Mm -hmm. or... um, there's also this whole idea that like in the wellness world or or in the consciousness field that you should have no judgment practice non-judgment yeah yeah that's a formal practice but also there's something called discernment mm-hmm. which vivika it's a famous ancient yogic word and it means to practice discernment so the idea that we should just be like everything is yoga <laughs> is actually not yogic at all yeah that's like saying Everything is chocolate cake. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> no, everything is not chocolate cake. It's not. That, cookies <laughs> might be good, but they're not chocolate cake. Right. And what makes them? They're both sweet. Yes, they're both sweet. You it's can eat them as cake. desserts, but chocolate cake is different yeah. than a chocolate chip mm. cookie. But they both have chocolate. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah, discernment, yeah, yeah. Yeah. if we're teaching concepts and we're working towards goals, having a, a lovingly critical mind is valuable. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid to put it out there because I didn't want to be seen as overly critical or judgy. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just kind of like, fuck it. Yeah. F it. Yeah. You F can edit all. that out. Sorry. F it all. I mean, it's okay. It's be- <laughs> because the people who. It feels good to say that too, to just say F it. I mean, yeah. honestly, it does. It does. Yeah. Especially if you've edited your thoughts mm-hmm. for so long out of that concern right it's like well i don't want to ruffle any feathers don't want to ruffle any yeah. feathers don't want to make people feel bad don't right. want to don't want to cause a stink right what does that say about me if you know i'm going to sit over here and just do my thing quietly and i think that we all have to be okay with offering our opinions and also know that when we offer our opinions, we are opening ourselves up for that same intellectual criticism that we have, that we have, you know, engaged in. We're, uh, mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Yeah. 
and scary. It it's can be scary. scary. Yeah. But I think it's, a, it's I also think empowering. It's, I think. It is empowering. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Not everybody is going to be interested in or want to do the things I'm talking about, but there are people that do that do and want they, it. Yeah. And and those are that's who you want to attract anyways. Yeah. You're not trying to attract the person who doesn't No. I'm really not you can't change their minds. I'm not I mean, trying to yeah. convince right. you know, Sally May that <laughs> she can't do eight thousand chatarangas in ninety degrees because she can and that's okay. And if she finds it helpful, great. Right. When she blows out her shoulder, she can come to me for rolfing and I will very gently encourage her to try slower yoga. And if she doesn't, we'll still be friends and we can drink wine on Saturday. Totally. Fine. That's fine. Yeah. Thanks, Sally Mae. It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) And I have opinions. Yeah. Both are true. Yeah. I have plenty. That's certainly been something that I have not had too little of in my life, which has gotten me in trouble at times, but you know, it's okay. I wouldn't have it any other way. If you're willing to engage, <laughs> right? If you're willing to engage in the conversation, then it's always going to be of benefit. If you just want to have an opinion and you don't want to engage in a conversation, that could potentially be uncomfortable. But right, are you going to explode the teapot? That teapot okay. is really funny. Where did you get that? <laughs> TJ Maxx or something. It's like a big giant seashell teapot. <laughs> it's like a conch shell. Yeah. I, I bought it like a couple of years ago and I just had it in a cabinet and then I was like, I need to get that thing out. And now I've just been using it like every morning. It's very beachy. We're at the beach sort of. We do live at the beach. It's five miles away. Yeah. So. <laughs> we have shells Thankfully. all over my house, like random. Oh, we have one. Right, look at this random one on Derek's uh, espresso thing. I was like, is that in the way? And he was like, no, I like it. I was like, okay. <laughs> we, we do that too. We have some things, uh, odd knickknacks oh, stuffed into technology in weird places. Yeah. yeah. It's all good. So um, do you have any good advice? Because I've gotten these messages before on social media of people, especially after I did. So Derek came on my podcast mm-hmm. like early on to tell his story. And I don't know if you know some of his, but you know, he had a very profound experience with yoga, healing, you know, he had all these sinus issues and back problems mm-hmm. and, you know, whole, whole thing. Um, and then after that episode, I got a lot of messages of people who want to start yoga, but they don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Do you have any advice for those people? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that the best place to start is to pull up a list of yoga studios in your area And then I know this sounds a little labor intensive, but I would look to see which ones offer beginner, not just classes, but series classes, Mm -hmm. Um, like intro series classes that are going to tell you, and this isn't like an intro, every studio will offer something like this, or many of them do. It's not an intro to yoga as a whole. It's going to be an intro to yoga how they see it. Mm -hmm. And you need to know that if you're going to study in any particular place, you kind of want to know what their North Star is, Mm -hmm. because that's going to help you to study with them, to be a more informed practitioner. It's, they're also going to teach you some safety, some basics. Um, you're going to be able to ask questions. So I would say, look at the local area, look for the places that gear themselves most towards beginners and start there. Mm -hmm. And once you feel 
competent in just being comfortable and going into the weird space of a yoga studio because that's a thing too Mm -hmm. just overcoming that inertia of Mm -hmm. a yoga studio is a different kind of environment it doesn't feel like a gym they smell different the sounds are a little different the language is really different Mm -hmm. things you're not maybe not used to so getting used to that a safe environment that's geared towards beginners is the place to start even if it seems like you're an athlete and you want something more challenging, if you take the time to do that, you can always additionally be going to the more athletic classes if yeah. you happen to be naturally inclined to those more athletic practices. If you like being in the heat, there are hot yoga studios. It's okay to start with what you like. Mm-hmm. It's okay to start with the one that you're most into. But just know that you may have to try a few places. Mm-hmm. And it might, and it evolves just like it evolved yeah, for you. you it know? does. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I wanted to make a list of like what, depending on your body type and what you're looking for and what kind of exercise you've done in the past and in the future, and even though I said that it's not exercise, of course it's exercise. We just don't want to treat it like it is your workout. Mm -hmm. It is often a workout, (laughs) but it's not, you're not there to work out. If you do it to work out, you will miss the other things. Mm -hmm. So it's so confusing, right? But, (laughs) uh, but I would say, again, just start with a beginner's course. And then if you can befriend a teacher there, that's really helpful because then they mm-hmm. will be able to advise you, depending on what you're looking for, go there first, get inspired, do that for a while, and then eventually come to me. <laughs> Mission yoga, y'all. Or no. <laughs> Mission no. yoga. Mission yoga. But yeah. um, no, of course not. You do. Mission yoga, I will say, is... I think I haven't been to every studio in Charleston because there's a lot of newer ones, but I think it's one of the most beautiful studios in Charleston. It is a really beautiful space. Beautiful space. Yeah. It's an old gas station that that was converted from a, by a design firm, not us into a a more usable space. But the studio itself is in the garage, like where the cars used to pull in. And so it's these giant garage doors and then there's palm trees out in front of the doors looking out onto the street, but it has a really urban feel. Yeah. Um, and the light is perfect. I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful natural space. light, yeah. lots and lots of windows, exposed brick, mm-hmm. high beams. Um, and it's kind of gritty because it is an old building, which I like. It has energy, it has personality, it has personality yeah. and kind of a, a feeling of gravity. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't feel like this kind of corporate box no. where you go and no, do it has things soul. in. It, ha- it really does it has have a soul, good... but it's also been, you know, like updated sort of. Right. You know. It's a cool, we just, you know, I made a list of the elements that I wanted in the studio and then we went from place to place to place and we walked in that one and it had everything on the list and we were like, well, okay. That was, that was a deal. That was easy. Check the box. (laughs) And it's also a really small, the actual room where we practice is small, Mm -hmm. which means that with a small group of people, it can feel very full Mm -hmm. and I actually had someone complain recently on a review and say like the class was overcrowded. And I'm like, look, yo, we can fit 30 max and three out the back door. 30 is all we can fit. I used to teach at a studio where I taught 75 students on a Saturday morning. Easy, easily 75 yeah, students. That was a big, the big, that was the, the big one second studio on Mount, Wentworth, Mount Pleasant. No, well, no, not oh. that, but in the Mount Pleasant oh, location. Yeah. Yeah. And a bit huge it was huge. Space. 75 people. I could hardly see everyone even when I was walking around. Yeah. So this is 30 people. And yes, you may be really close to your neighbor, but that's only in like four classes a week that are that busy. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of them are not that packed. Oh, right. And 
I like that energy though. Yeah, I think I that think you fun. have to just get over yourself a little yeah. bit. You know, if you people, like you said, people are going to find something to complain about. There's I mean, some people that will. How about it's this? Like, give me. I want a yoga studio with senior teachers. I want to have only. I want to have enough people in the room that it feels like it's popular, but not so many people that I have to interact with anyone else. I want it to be really affordable, but I want the best of the best. I'm like, well, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to give you all those this things. This is called a unicorn, yeah. and they actually don't exist. They don't exist. Good luck with that. I mean, I like to think that they do, yeah. but they don't. <laughs> have, you know, the rent to be downtown is very, oh, very gosh. high. Horrible. Studios are not lucrative entities. People that are complaining about how expensive yoga is, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Have you ever been to a CrossFit gym? Oh, my gosh. Commercial. I mean, yeah, rent commercially or um, just, yeah, residential yeah. It's just insane in this town. It's insane. Charleston's really, I would like to see some people doing some lobbying here to get like benefits, rental benefits, tax yeah. benefits for locally owned businesses versus these corporate companies that can come in and spend millions on these high sort of like high trafficked areas. I and mean, that's if what's gonna ha- that's what, and that, you know, our turnover of local businesses, it's abysmal. It's Everybody Terrible. gets driven out of business, and they and they're good businesses. That's the really sad thing is that I you know got, that they actually were doing well doing in like well. a normal, you know, yeah. in their normal climate, and right. now these people have just come in and it's like, oh well, they don't care if they're tur- if they keep like turning over different businesses. Somebody's going to come in and pay the rent and hope that they can make it work, and right. then they're going to go out of business in a year. And right. uh, well, and that's people being about themselves instead of uh-huh. like wanting Charleston to be an amazing place, which right. it is an amazing place, but it could be a more amazing. It could place. be more amazing. I mean, you and I have been here and seen the transition, so we can also say like from the perspective of how it used to be Mm -hmm. and like obviously like being more well-known is great and I've talked about this on the podcast too because it comes up um because we get a lot of uh you know great amenities that come along with Mm -hmm. being more recognized but at the same time the locals here have been suffering yeah I don't I don't think I think that's really a, a point to make is that being a city that everyone wants to come visit but not a city that anyone can live in is not a good city I don't no. care how much Condé Nast likes it and how many no. people come here for their weddings no. if our kids can't have good public school. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that can afford to live here, they're not so worried about it because they send their children to private school. Yeah. But what about people right. like me who have a business, who put all of their money back into their business? You know, I live very frugally. Right. I live very simply. Um, both my partner and I work. We share a car. And he Ubers and he walks and he rides his bike. I mean, we live frugally. And yes, right. we travel. And yes, we buy expensive food. But there are certain things that I'm well, willing to set money aside for. That's that's for, yeah. you know, I, obviously I'm big on the nutrition. So that's like a long term. Like you're right. It's an looking, investment, it's an into, investment your into your wellness. Absolutely. Yeah. But my son goes to public school in Charleston. Mm-hmm. And it's a Title I school. And they are constantly in need of funds. Right. And their teachers are underpaid. And the kids are, um, a lot of them are struggling because they're coming from low income environments and, Mm -hmm. um, we could do better by them. As much money is flowing through this city, we should be doing better for the public school system. Now, granted it's Charleston inside of South Carolina, which is part of the issue, but that's a totally different podcast. I know. But, um, you know, I want to support, he's in the public school because, I want him to be exposed to different kinds of people and mm-hmm. I want to support the public school. If you take all the parents that do have the time 
to be involved Mm -hmm. and you convince them to take all their kids to private school instead, it leaves the parents that are struggling behind who don't have the time and then the the school doesn't get the support it needs. And it's not always those parents' fault. A lot of them, they're just doing the best that they can. They just are making less money. They're working two jobs. They're single parents, things like that, you know. So we're we're staying put. We're staying in the public school system. Mm-hmm. And if it means, you know, that we have to like do a little bit more work at home with him, yeah. with him then right. so be it. But I want to be a part of the solution by being involved. That's great. Instead of just Yeah. Instead of just leaving those kids by the wayside cuz that's what mm-hmm. it is. They're all like being left behind. All these children that deserve a good education. Absolutely. Bummer. Charleston, do better. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. Take care of your people. <laughs> yeah. I want to see it. I have yeah. high hopes that over time, Charleston's becoming more uh, conscious and progressive. And if we can just start mm-hmm. putting our, you know, money where our hearts are, right, then we're going to be okay. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. That was lovely. Thank, Thank you. you for coming on. Thank you for having me. We went everywhere. We did. This, this is why I love these. Con- <laughs> these, are the, these make for the best conversations. So obviously if people uh, want to, well, not obviously, but if people want to contact you or find out about mission, yeah. they can go to, is your website, we are mission. We are mission yoga.com. Yoga. And yeah. that's, and then your Instagram is the same. Yep. It's we the same. Mission yoga. It looks like where mission yoga <laughs> where we w-e-a-r-e where mission yoga yeah we and are. then your personal is kelly at we are mission yoga or my instagram if you want to follow me personally yeah. it's kelly jean loves you love it because i do cool. <laughs> <laughs> even if you're doing yoga that i don't like even if you're doing you. yoga that i don't like exactly. yeah again that's that's well this the... is what all people need we can all have different opinions yep and still love each other yeah and if some of my friends that have these dis disagreements with me were sitting in front of me they would offer their opinions and I would say that is valid you know what I agree mm-hmm. with that part wow that's actually really true and sometimes I forget that because they get their blinders on and I get mine on right yeah and that happens for it, all of us it does yeah okay doke well thank you so much for being here thank you till next time peace and plants Isn't she so much fun? She has such a compelling story. And I think, you know, just seeing the power of yoga and what this practice can do for so many people and what it has done for so many people from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life and all different ailments, illnesses, mental, physical, you know, emotional trauma, childhood, whatever, um, is just so profound to me. So if you live in Charleston, absolutely go check out Mission Yoga. Like I said, it is such a beautiful space. And it's just a great a great energy around the whole place and obviously her. So as always, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Your support means the world to me. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share all the things. You can also sign up for my newsletter, which is on my website, therefinedhippie.com. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at therefinedhippie. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, you can also give me a little tip. So that is on my website. There is a small coin in the bottom right hand corner, which takes you to a slide over for tip a link, which I've talked about that as well. It's a great platform that allows content creators on the website get tipped for their work, whether it's music, art, podcasts, blogs, recipes, whatever 
the people who are following you can support you even further by giving you a little tip. So think, you know, service industry tipping comes to the internet. It's a really awesome thing. And if you are looking for any type of nutrition counseling, please shoot me an email, Rebecca at The Refined Hippie. This is a perfect time to start one of my wellness programs. So I am doing four-week, eight-week, or 12-week wellness programs. These include a very in-depth health survey and evaluation, which we come up with a personalized plan specific for your needs and goals. And then we set up meal guides. I do weekly follow-ups every week, so we can do check-in calls. And just let me know if you would like some more information on how that works. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, my lovely friends, peace and plants.